Can you can you guys please take a seat up front? All right, we're back. Okay, we're back. <laughs> so tonight's the Came to Believe meeting, and the Came to Believe is designed as an outlook for the rich diversity of convictions implied in God as we understood Him. Our co-founder, Dr. Bob, said, "We are not bound by theological doctrine." We are many minds in our organization. First, we will read a chapter from the Game to Believe book. Then our speakers will discuss their experience with the coming to believe process. And I picked, it's right in chapter four, the first reading. It's called Total Surrender. And what has always impressed me most about the program and myself is the constant continuing challenge to try to recapture some of the true and honest rapture I felt upon total surrender. When I first came into AA, for me, that special peace of mind has never been duplicated. Now, after all of the accumulated 24-hour periods, I realize that it is probably never will be. I have come close to it a few times, but it's never been the same. I think there is a relationship between that feeling and our need at the time we were introduced to the program. Our motivation, I believe, is a combination of enough hurt and the grace of God. Surely a strange combination. I would not know how to express it to anyone outside of AA. And it's Des Plainies in uh, Illinois. All right. Our first speaker tonight is Bob M. from the Lakeshore Group. And Bob, you're up. I am Bob. I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, as I said, my sobriety date's October the 3rd of 1998. Um, I think we say our sobriety date because this feels like my first meeting because it, only when you stand up here on these podiums do I shake like I did at my first meeting where I'm watching my coffee doing that. Um, a member of the Lakeshore Group has, has mentioned um, it's actually my third home group and um, I've had the same sponsor since I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I've only had one sponsor. Um, I've sponsored people. Anyway, that's um, the stuff like I felt obligated to say. Okay, I um, came to believe. Um, I was very fortunate in my, um, my first month of uh, sobriety because um, I hadn't even picked a home group yet, but at the group that was to become my home group, was an open meeting at the end of the month like a number of AA meetings have. So they had um, anniversaries and they had a, a speaker. And the lady that came up to speak, um, I, when I first saw her up there, she was, you know, she was a, a master's degree professor with some impressive title at um, the University of Buffalo. Um, very distinguished looking, you know, something. I, I cannot possibly have anything in common with this individual at all. And... Um, she um, she probably became as close to anyone I've ever seen in AA um, call herself an atheist. Um, I don't know that she actually used the word atheist, but it was pretty clear that um, the idea of a the God of my understanding at the time of this you know deity in heaven was not her conception, and um, she. Um, Described in her lead, she talked about she she had very little of a drunken log, but she talked about her experience of working the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and how that had led her to believe in a power greater than herself, and how her continued maintenance of that relationship with a power greater than herself had kept her sober. Some she had some twenty years of sobriety at the time. I found out later she was actually the woman who had taken my grand sponsor through the steps originally, and then my grand sponsor took my sponsor through the steps, and a number of other people that are now members of my home group went through those steps at the same time, and others have gone through the, those same steps since. And um, so I didn't know it, but that within the first few weeks of my sobriety, I had talked to the woman who kind of started it all for me. You know, there's a direct path from her to the fact that I'm sober today. You know, God worked through all those people along the way to uh, allow me to have my own experience. Um, 
when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I had been to Alcoholics Anonymous before, mostly to get my piece of paper signed so I could get my license back. And, and to, in all honesty, this time I was coming to Alcoholics Anonymous because I was, once again, in a lot of trouble with the state of New York, and I was hoping to avoid prison time. And um, I thought putting some AA time on my resume would be very helpful. So um, I, the higher power I had at the time was, was the state of New York um, and the probation department. And um, that's who I answered to. Prior to that, my higher power was alcohol. Um, like all of us, that's who I answer to. Alcohol told me what to do, told me when to do it, told me what not to do, told me when not to do it. You know, there was really, um, that's what I believed in. That's what I put my faith and trust in. So um, I, um, when, I, when I saw your steps on the wall, which are now our steps, when I saw the steps on the wall, I, I, I thought it would be a good idea to do these things. And um, so I proceeded to try to do them on my own. Um, because I, I, I had a real, I, it says somewhere in our book something to the effect of, you know, our real problem is our inability to, uh, uh, have a relationship with another human being or something to that effect. And that, that's how I felt. Like, I was completely incapable of locking up and talking to anybody, um, let alone presuming to ask them for any sort of help or assistance with that or anything like that, because, you know, Despite the fact I was about to go to prison, I certainly wasn't humble when I came here. And um, I, I figured they'd probably humble me pretty well in prison, but again, I was hoping to escape that. Anyway, I, um, so I, I proceeded to try to work these steps on my own to the best of my ability. So when I read step two, right away I should have known because I have a tendency to I – don't, I don't listen very well. My sponsor reminds me of this to this day. Um, one, because I'm either not paying attention to you at all. Or two, whatever you said, I hear something completely different than what actually came out of your mouth. And I do that when I read things, too. So when I read your second step, Came to Believe, that, to me, created this research project where I needed to study about all the gods of everyone's understanding in order that I could pick out the one that would best fit my understanding at the time. So I proceeded to do that. Um, eventually, the state of New York helped me by giving me an ankle bracelet so I couldn't leave my house. So I had plenty of time to work on this research project. So I, I, would, I would go to the library on Saturdays on my three hours of free time that I could be out of the house, and I would stock up on, you know, like the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas and Confucius and all these church fathers and even dabbling in some of those religions I wasn't so sure of but figured, and I didn't read very much of those frankly, because it was completely unfamiliar ground, and I knew I was never going to end up there, so why bother? But I took the books out. So I was trying to understand, you know, God. Um, and, and I proceeded that way through the steps, and I ended up at a big book study. The first person I asked to sponsor me told me he didn't have time to take me through the work, and I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was just completely offended that somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous would tell me they didn't have time to be my sponsor after all the time and effort I had put into getting up the courage to ask somebody to be my sponsor. But he did tell me that if I went to this big book study, that there were people there that may help me to find what it was I was looking for. And I wasn't even sure what I was looking for, but he seemed to have some idea. So I started to go to this big book study, and again, I'm working the steps on my own, but I'm listening to these people, and they're not really agreeing with my take on what we're reading, but like that's okay, because I figure I probably know more about this than the rest of them, because you know, I'm just smarter than them or something. So I figured I knew more. So I um I I I you know, so I did a second step, and I, I read the third step prayer out of the book. I don't think I, you know, had the humility to get on my knees or anything, but I did read it. I think I even read it out loud once to make it real, and um, I was ready to go on with my fourth step. And, and conveniently, this fella at um, that big book study was passing out outlines on how to do the fourth step. So I grabbed one of those because that's exactly what I need. God is working in my life already. And so this fella asked me um, who I was, um, who my sponsor was, who I was, or was I working with somebody um, doing the steps? And I said, well, I'm kind of doing them on my own. And he said, well, that's probably coming out just about the way you expect it to come out, isn't it? And I wasn't sure whether to be offended or whether he was kidding or if that was a serious question. But I, I said, well, and then I kind of realized 
um, what I was doing, I was doing Alcoholics Anonymous the same way I did everything else in life. I was doing it my way, on my terms, with my understanding, and and I wasn't going to get anywhere like that. So um, thankfully, this um, person talked to me for a long time after the meeting, not just about the outline, but about um, sponsorship, about um, him coming over and um, reading me this book. So I still got my ankle bracelet on. I've got permission to go to AA meetings. So I went to an AA meeting every night. It was very helpful. But he, um, he would come over to my house and he'd start reading this book to me. And I thought he was absolutely out of his mind. And I had no idea how any of this was going to get me sober because I know how to read. I don't really know why you need to read this to me. But then he would talk about stuff, and then he would ask me about stuff that we read, and then we would read it again after I would talk because clearly I hadn't gotten it. And then we would talk about it some more. And, um, you know, he, he began to do what uh, a lot of us have experienced. And if you haven't experienced, my, my hope and prayer for you is that you do experience sometimes because... That is how I found the God of my understanding, was, was through the work of the steps at Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, we got to a point in the, in the book, um, I believe it's in We Agnostics, where it says something to the effect, you know, God either is or he isn't. And I, don't, I re- can't remember which line comes first. And he talk, they talk about God is everything or he is nothing. I was okay with God either is or he isn't. But when he read God is everything or he is nothing, I, I, I felt like I was really stuck because um, in my mind, and again, it was in my mind, that created this, this logic process of all the things that would always come up when I would try to believe in the God of other people's understandings that I couldn't explain. You know, so we're talking, you know, cancer, earthquakes, plane crashes, you know, that kind of stuff that I held God responsible for, you know, because my father died when I was nine years old, so that was on God, all right? My father was a drunk before he died. That was on God. You know, every bad thing that happened in my life, I won't go through the whole list now because we but that was, it was all on God, you know? God was, that was God, and... um that wasn't me. That wasn't these other people. That was God allowing these things to happen to poor little Bobby. And um, so I took it very personal. And um, so, and I guess I had kind of, because we said the set aside prayer, and I guess I had sort of set all that stuff aside while we had been working through the book um, before that. But when that line was read to me, I was like, uh, no, I, I don't know. And um, I seriously didn't know, and and I was I was ready to stop, and I, I was ready to uh, to sign off on this deal. Like I don't I don't know exactly where we're going here, but I'm not going any further with this right now. And um, I guess my sponsor threw his Ebby hat on or something, because he says to me, he says, "Why don't you let God show you whether He is everything or He is nothing?" And um, sitting there with my little ankle bracelet on and um, looking at, you know, the destruction of my life. Having having worked through the first step with a sponsor and able to take a clear and honest look at the destruction I had left in my life and what alcohol had caused, you know, I wasn't prepared to, uh, I wasn't prepared to face that again either. So um, left with that, I, I was willing to, uh, to concede, all right, all right, God, show me, you know. And um, but I, I wasn't cocky about it at all. It was actually um, for me, it felt humble, you know, just to be willing to do that. And and you know that that's the part. That's all the second step says, you know. That wow, that we're willing, willing to believe. You know, it doesn't even ask us to believe in any particular thing. It doesn't even ask us to do anything. It's just, are you willing to believe? And 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 I was willing, I was willing to believe on those terms with that man at that time, for the first time in my life. And um, I was willing to believe in something that could be true. I, I wasn't willing to believe in anything I had thought about God previously. I wasn't willing to believe in other people's. Um, experience with God, I was willing to have my own. 
and and that talk that that lady gave at the end of that first October of her experience through the steps, my sponsor didn't even need to say it. I knew that going through the rest of these steps would allow me to have that experience of a God of my own understanding in my life. So um, so we went forward, and um, and I began to see um, through my own um, inventory as we swallow some of those chunks of truth about ourselves. Um, and I ended up working with Sandy um, years later when I went through the book a second time, and, and she talked about, you know, that's, that's God. That's the God deep down within us, you know, because the God of my understanding, I, I can't explain the God of my understanding any more today than I could on day one, and, and it doesn't matter because, you know, our purpose in Alcoholics Anonymous is not to get anyone to believe in the God of our understanding. It's to show you the path we took to find the God of our understanding in the hope that you'll have that same experience, that we'll all find that power greater than ourselves that will relieve us from our alcoholism. You know, So we're not asked to believe in anything here. Our minds tell us that, oh my gosh, they're praying, they're doing this, they're doing that. It's really not about that. It's just to open us up to have our own experiences. Because your own experiences are what are going to be true to you. And that's going to be the God of your understanding. I can't convince you God is or is this or anything else. But I can show you the path that was shown to me to enable you to find that power on your own, that power of your own understanding. So through continuing through those steps, I was able to experience God in my life. Um, Definitely in the inventory process, most certainly in doing my fifth step, talking about those things that I was never going to talk about. Um, Continuing forward through the amends process, which I could stand up here and I'm happy to say could talk to you for hours about the experiences of God that happened in in the amends process. But but the most powerful, um, briefly I'll share, is... um, this thing called a graveside amend, which I knew nothing about, which I thought was crazy. But I also jumped on it as the first amend to do because I thought it was pretty safe. All I got to do is go to the cemetery. There's nobody there but me and a grave. And I can pull this off. And um, I went to the cemetery. It was my father's grave, which I couldn't even find because I had never bothered to go there since 1973. This was about 1999 at the time. Um, I had never gone there and um, since the funeral. And I certainly wasn't paying attention then. You know, as a nine-year-old, they were kind of walking me to it. Anyway, I found it. Um, and I found it. It's, almost, it's kind of a miracle that I found it because the only reason I found it was because I had this remote starter in a truck and I was walking away discouraged and I couldn't find it. And some, for some reason, I don't know why, the truck went on and I turned around to walk towards the truck to turn the truck off and I looked down and there's my father's grave. And then I... I did the thing, you know, I read the stuff I had written down as far as how I saw that I had harmed him. And, um, and I, you know, angels didn't appear, the skies didn't open, but I felt, I felt it. You know, I just felt something I had never felt before. And I felt like, you know, I just felt like this is real. Like there's something I cannot see, that, I, but I can feel standing here. And... Um, and it wasn't even coming from anybody else because there was nobody there. And it wasn't a lie. I was taught, you know, I just, I just felt it. And, and I did my amends thing, which essentially came down to maybe you could try giving the love to the people that I love that I could never give the love to, if you know, to set things right. And so that's what I tried to do and um, had some, again, some pretty incredible experiences after that. And then the kicker was I get in my car, and I'm kind of going through this little born-again phase at the time, too. So I'm playing this religious station on the radio, and I, um, I get in the car, and the song comes on, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm on the edge. I'm not cheered up yet, but I'm on the edge, you know, because I'm out here in the cemetery in public. I can't be, you know, blubbering. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of on the edge. So I, I get in my truck, and the first line I hear from the song, it goes, God be with you till we meet again. And I just lost it. I couldn't even drive out of the cemetery. I was blubbering like a like a baby. But um, it was also the best blubber I had ever had because it just felt it felt awesome to know to know. And and from that day forward, no matter what has happened in my life, and I have not lived a perfect life, 
Um, and I have not had all wonderful experiences since then. Um, life is life. Um, I, I know that, that God is there, that, that the God of my understanding is, is present. And I don't need anybody else to know that. <laughs> you know, That's also been removed, too. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to get anybody else to believe what I believe. You know, I don't have to. We cease fighting anyone or anything. You know, and that was that was part of what we ceased fighting. So um, I um, I came to believe God is everything. You know, God is everything. I can't always see Him, I can't always feel Him, but I, I know He's always there. And um, that's that's the main thing that has kept me sober um, to this day is is that knowledge and that relationship and that experience. So thank you. Thanks, Bob. Um, our second speaker tonight is John N., and his home group is the Depth and Weight Group in Buffalo. What's up, friends? I'm John, and I'm an alcoholic. Man, this is great stuff. Melissa comes up to me, she's like, is it okay if I record you? And I'm like, oh. Mm, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I just, I'm, I don't know what's going to come out really, to be honest with you, but I don't do this stuff often. I was on the way here and I was just freaking out. And I'm just like, oh man, trust God, have fun, right? And that, uh, I'm, I'm screwed. You know, I'm going to do this stuff. I'm, I don't know, man. This is, this is just amazing. I mean, I get, like, we have, went to a wedding yesterday and they were just, we get to do these things. And it's so true. So, so, so very true. I was on my phone with a, one of my, guys I'm working with, and I was, like, on the phone with them, and I'm just like, dude, I love AA, left that, that one meeting I went to in the morning, I'm talking to them, like, this is just the best stuff in the entire world. I can tell you right now, I never thought that when I first came in. Um, so I have a sobriety day, it's one six seventeen. I am a home group member in Depth and Weight, and that meets on Tuesdays and Fridays. Well, Tuesday is the book book study, and Friday is a speaker group in Buffalo. Yeah. So, let's get this thing going, right? Just got to have fun, right? All right so. so, yeah, I mean, I got to give a little shout-out to Joey M. right here in the front. We were, you know, bad boys back in 15 years old in high school, you know, and uh, we did some fun things together. So, it's awesome to see him here, and it's just unbelievable that that this is, like, real life right now. I mean, we standing here, to be honest. It's cool. So, thanks. Thanks, Chapin, where you're asking me to do this. So, let's start off, right? Came to believe that a power could restore me to sanity, right? I had this problem, right? I got this 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 syndrome, right? This John Wayne syndrome, right? I'm I'm bad boy. I'm I'm tough, right? I grew up in the construction world and I always just was, you know, I dig holes and I'm just a man. I'm a man, you know? And and that's just the way, way, way I, the way I grew up and did everything, right? It was with my hands and just my dad always pick yourself up by your bootstraps, Johnny, you know, grab the bull by the horns and take it down. Man, that's a horrible syndrome to have, by the way. It really is, man. I mean, oh, my gosh, because that is just me doing some serious self-will. And it took me, like, 14 years to find the rooms of AA, even just to check myself into my first rehab. And that was, that was some, that was hard, very, very very hard to do. I had to be in a position where I was just totally gone of self, beat down into this deep little pit of a vast nothing, and I'm just laying there on the floor feeling like I'm 3,000 pounds, and I just can't get up that one more time. And that's just the way I felt when I wake like, And that wasn't even the last time either. You know, The last time, though, so I'll tell you a little bit about that. So, sorry for my drinking at 14 years old. My family is my life. They mean everything to me. I grew up my I was a family man. Well, man, a boy in a man's body. A boy, actually, in a boy's body. I was 14 years old when I really started my when I really started my my drinking, and you know, I I started off and I was the young the young gun of the family. I had a bunch of older cousins. We we were, you know, we were just everything together. We did everything together, we, from going on trips to going, you know, any really anything, daringly camping trips, fishing things, everything, family parties, Christmas parties, hundred people. It's nuts, and. 14 years old, you get, you get that first thing, right? You, you, you talk, we, we all hear about it, right? You, you have that first drink, and it's just like, holy cow, what just happened? I, I fell in love with the, with the effect produced by alcohol the big book talks about. I did. I really did. And that just, but, you know, I felt, I felt something 
twinge inside of me a little bit when I was that 14-year-old little boy, right, with my family, and I always looked up to them, and I always wanted to be just like them, and just, you know, my big brother, too, and everything like that, right, and, and my, even my dad, everybody. And it, it, I felt whole, I guess you could say, when I, when I had that, right, and, and it just kept going, and we just were, I was a big partier in high school and everything like that, and I, 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 I went off the track a little bit there, right, there are drugs are part of my story, but I, what I came to realize, though, is that I just couldn't manage the drugs, and that I'm a full alcoholic through and through. And someone had to tell me, man, John, put those things to the side. Put those things to the side, man. Just look at just the way you drink. Just just dial in on that. And, man, does that, that just hit home so hard. And I get I get up to a point in my life where I'm getting kicked out of football games in, in high school and getting dragged out by the cops, and I'm home, and I'm sitting there, and I'm puking in the bed, and my mom and my, my friends are all laughing at me like, oh, this is great. Am I too loud, too close? Too high, too too close. Cool, thanks. So, and I'm just, I'm puking. I'm just, you know, I'm obviously doing the whole thing. I'm never going to do this again thing. And then two days later, I'm doing the exact same thing. Want me back up a little bit? All right, that's good there. Thanks. God, I'm so awkward. Whatever. Yeah, turn it down. I'll wait. This is great. I'm like taking time off my thing, so this is wonderful stuff. Is that better? All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Wonderful. Let's give a round of applause for Joe. <laughs> this is great stuff, man. I love you guys. I really do. Ah, I'm a mess. I did wear a tie for this. They told me I got to wear. I, my home group makes me, made me wear a tie, and I was so against that. Oh, talk about God working in your life! I mean, like I was against that, and all of a sudden I show up with a tie, with a smile on my face. I'm like, what? Right, hold on, I'll get to that part too, I guess. So what happens is, right? I just keep on drinking myself. I get to that point. I, I, throughout high school, I kind of slow down a little bit. I, I go into hunting and learning, learning center. The, the aide there is giving me a bunch of bunch of booze. I'm partying hard with her. She's like 40 years old, and I'm seven, 16 years old, and it was a that was a, that was a weird situation, um, but I'm in high school and I'm just man I'm just having a good time just having a good time didn't know what alcoholism was thought I just had some other problems going on and, and didn't know anything about it nothing at all right and the book talks about that impending calamity right with that that untreated alcoholism built in Bill story man that's how I just like that mind just go I'm going wild wild inside and I'm just like oh it's gonna happen I don't know and then I, get, I take that drink and it's just boom it's gone I don't have to worry about it no more I'm I'm cured right but that's just that's wrong obviously <clears throat> so let's just have some fun John sorry I'm saying that into myself I didn't go to college I I chose not to go to college I decided to work and I couldn't even make it to work 99.9% of the time my father is a general contractor in the city of Buffalo and he, he does great things and built some really nice things and I and I just couldn't I couldn't show up I, I was I was always just at home laying in bed or I was out drinking the night before and you know because every single night in Buffalo the bars open at four o'clock the bars open four here <laughs> Nice. And so, you know, I was out there. I was out there to, every night. Tuesdays, ladies' night, Coles, you know, Wednesday night. I don't know. Probably just drinking somewhere. Thursday night, Thirsty Buffalo, you know, all those fun places. And then downtown all throughout the whole time. And had a bunch of road dogs. And I get to a point where I start to just keep on going. I end up always the last person up. And I'm just, just dying from this thing. And I'm just bouncing from bar to bar to bar. Home to home to home. I don't have any DWIs, so I didn't think alcohol was the problem because of that, you know, and I don't have any kind of bad things. I got arrested one time for, when I was 17 years old, for some paraphernalia stuff and also for the falsifying New York State document to buy beer. Um, but, yeah, that was stupid. But uh, it, it really took precedence when I, when I like, when I got out of that high school, when I got out of high school, I sat like in my parents' basement. We, my whole family would party together all the time. 
they would always just say, Johnny, you got to slow down. It's just like, man, I don't know how to slow down. This is it, man. Like, you can sleep when you're dead. That's, you know, I just love it. Walkins Glenn, you know, that John Wayne thing, right, that double six shooters. I'm that guy with the double funnels on my side, one for you, one for me. Let's race. And I just, you know, oh, man, that was that was the that was the stuff back then. We had properties. We would always go out to the properties. And the next thing you know, you know, we're 5, 6 in the morning. We're, we're swimming in the, in the frozen lake and everything like that. And I'm just like, this is it. This is this is this is what life's all about, man. This is the that's the only way I knew how to live my life is just by partying. And then it was, it was just it was drowning me and drowning me. I get to a point when I'm a little bit older in my in my uh, you know, this never comes out the way you ever think about it. And I try not to think about it too much because then it's just like, you know, what happens when you do that. Ugh. And I'm just uh, I I get to that point when I'm let's say let's let's just say that to that 20, 20 year marker and or twenty two twenty three year year old marker I'm twenty nine now and I, I meet this I meet this one girl she's a she's a great girl and I just totally just destroy her life and and run her through the run her through the the ropes with everything with with my drinking at this point in time in my in my life I was able to stop everything else but the drinking just took precedence then and it just kept going and going and going it, I just it had a hard time I had a I had a lot of times everyone kept telling me John you got to slow down you got to slow down and and I just I really wanted to and I thought I could so I tried you know and when when you do try to do stuff like that it never ever works out because then you start going crazy and man did my head start to just just really go all over the place i mean you guys probably can tell that i'm a little quirky up here right now you should see me when i'm not drinking and i don't have a solution in my life it's really weird and it's it's pretty scary for some people um i'm an anger guy so zero to zero to a thousand real quick you know i was that guy at like toby keith concerts like punching people for no apparent reason throwing knives at friends at fleshworth and just 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 wild things that was, was wild stuff yeah. Um the scary thing was is that when I when I started, right? I had that that no off switch and someone explained that to me when I came in alcoholics and I was I had no idea what an alcoholic what an alcoholic was, what it is, what it isn't, you know. And when I got here I checked myself into a rehab two years almost two year, like almost two years ago in January. I I had the ultimatum from the girlfriend. I moved a bunch with this with this girl and I went from place to place to place to place, just trying to fix this thing and, and just 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 to get rid of it. I went from Lancaster to Williamsville to Alma, and then we, we currently live in Alma now too. Um, but I just kept bouncing around, just trying to fix it. You know, she would she would come home to me, she'd see me at five o'clock in the afternoon. I get home, and she'll be like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like sitting there chugging vodka and taking shots of iced tea. Normally, it's like reversed. And she's like, "What?" I'm like, "Like what? It's five, you know." And it's just, it was just, you know, I, I didn't have the, I didn't wake up crazily with the shakes unless it was like a hardcore binger, you know, binge over the weekend and stuff like that. I thought that's what you had to be an alcoholic, you had to wake up, have shakes, be totally crazy. But it's just that when I start, I can't stop. It's just that's just the way I drank, man. It was just that was just my truth, my truth, in and through and through. I, uh, I got an ultimatum from from my. My wife now, girlfriend at the time, she uh, she wrote up some all man. She found me. <clears throat> I was drinking in the parking lot of the of the gas station over on in Alma, and I went and picked up. I took my phone. I had a tracker on my phone. I took my phone. I put it and hid it behind the dumpster. And I I go ahead and I run and run down the street and pick up some non-prescribed Xanax and stuff and. I'm drinking, and when you mix those two together, it's a very bad mixture. And I and I, she finds me knock. I find wake up at the four o'clock in the morning. She's pounding on my, on my, on my door. You know, and I I did those things because I just wanted I wanted the noise in my head to stop. Because after a long time of just being out there and not knowing what you're doing, man, I thought I was on, I was on some crazy. I was on antidepressants. I was on Adderall, and I was just on you know seeing psychiatrists from psychiatrists to psychiatrists just to find out what's going on in my head. Because I didn't, I wouldn't have ever put my pin, put my finger on it. it was the alcohol that was really causing all the, the true problem that's going on in my head. You know, you drink to, to to quiet those, right? I drink to quiet those, and then I, you know, I I just wanted to just just shut up for such a long period of time. It came to a point where it, where she's standing over top of me. She finds me. She knocks on my window. I'm swerving home, just right down the road. She, I, I follow her home. She takes the ultimatum. You know, you're gonna go to AA. You're gonna you're gonna, you have a curfew. You can't play Pokemon Go until 12 o'clock at night. 
Yeah, that was fun. And, you know, it just, just, just those things. And when she said, you know, you either have to find, go to a rehab or something like that. And I go back to that John Wayne syndrome. And all the times that people told me, you, you, you can slow down, you, you got to slow down, you got to slow down, you got to slow down from that, like, from that 18 years old to 26, whatever, 26, 27 years old at January 2017. I just, I just, I wish I could have told him I, I, I could, and, and I just I just can't. I just can't stay stopped. I've, I could stop for such a short period of time, but then I'm just like, oh, oh, you know, I'm just going and going. I'm like, dude, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, I'm just, just wild in my own brain. I just can't think of anything else, and I'm just obsessing about it. And Oh, man, that's some scary stuff. I get to... I get to her, she's, she's sitting there, and she's throwing her stuff at me, she's punching me, she's kicking me, she's ripping up the alimentum, and she's throwing it in my face, and I, and I have this thing, and I'm just laying there. Yeah, you got a 3,000-pound body. This time it weighed like 6,000 pounds. I'm literally laying in the bed, and I'm just like, sweetheart, I don't know what to do. I just can't stop. It just is just on me, freaking out. I grab my phone, I text my mom, my dad, and I'm like, you know, I come from an you know, amazing background of a family, you know, it's another thing that I would put against that. I can't there'd be nothing wrong with me. <clears throat> Just some broken ass, broken, sorry, broken ideas. And uh, I'm texting them, and I'm just like, you know, I'm tired. I'm just so, so tired. My dad was always just, he stands over top of me every single time I'm down like that. He's just like, you can do it, Johnny. And I'm just like, I just can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. I am just so so scared. I'm I'm at that point where that book talks about you're hopeless. I'm really bad at that portraying of my story, but it just was just something that just it was it was hard. So I was having this conversation with my cousin two months ago. You want me to stop? Let me just say this one thing because this was pretty sweet stuff. All right. No, I don't know. I I heard my 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 first sponsor said this one time. Uh, my first sponsor said this to me the one time, and <clears throat> we were at a rehab and somewhere, and he was talking about it, man, and, I, and he said it just so so perfect. And I was sitting there with my cousin two weeks, two weeks ago, and she's just like, John, you remember when we went to Angola for our camp at eight years old? I'm like, yeah, I remember. That was a horrible idea. So we went there. We're in there. We're, we're swimming in. We're swimming in the water. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of this thing, but man, this, this is this truly happened to me, and it was uh, it was amazing. It was something that I had I had to that I look at as like what happened, you know, when you get to that point of hopelessness, man, you gotta, you have to let go of a lot of things. You have to let go of the ideas of, I had to let go of the idea of who, who my God was, who he could ever even think about being, I had to be smashed. I had to be replaced with, with this old, you know, this whole new conception that I had to build on, you know, and that's what my sponsor took me through the steps and started doing those things with me. And I had, to, had to, I had to let go of that, that John Wayne syndrome, you know, and that was, that was hard because you know, I'm a man and I don't want to, you know, and I, I can do it on my own. I just can't, I have to have something a lot bigger than myself to, to, to do this stuff for me. And I don't, you know, I wouldn't be here today without it, you know, but real quick about that, that story, it, it hit me, it hit me really hard. It, I was sitting there talking, and I'm like, "Wow, that is just like that was just like me, just just letting go of all those those things." I'm swimming, in, I'm swimming in the water with her and my 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 brother, and we're all hanging out. We're right by the water, and it was angle. It was around five o'clock at night, and we're in Lake Erie, and the water's the water's just coming in, right? And it was starting to get the undertow. You know, when the water comes in, it starts pulling you out like that. I'm eight years old. I'm probably only like this big, and I'm just like bobbing. I'm just bobbing a little bit. That's it, just bobbing. And I and I I'm a uh, I'm starting to get out of breath. I'm starting to get out of breath. My, my older cousin, Maria, she's about 16 at the time. She's taller than I am. And she could touch and everything like that, but she's out at the beach, right? I'm sitting there, and I'm holding on to the thing. My, my cousin, Andrew, is like, you know, John, John, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, well, you got this. You got this. We start getting pulled. We're getting sucked in. We're getting sucked under. And it was just the scariest thing in my entire life that I could ever remember. You know, it, it, was, it was some pretty scary stuff, getting just getting taught pulled under like that and just not being able, not being able to, like, just get grasped for that air. My cousin goes and comes in and swims, and she grabs my, my cousin Andrea, and she's yelling at me, Johnny, 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 let go, Johnny, let go. Please just let go of that. Let go of the, the rope, man. You're just you're drowning. And I'm like, no, I got this. Leave me. I got it. I can pull myself up. I got this. I got this. And then you know, the next thing you know what happens is she's like, John, just, just do it. Let go of that. And I was just like, oh, my eagle's yelling at me. You know, I'm just like, you can do it, you know. And I let go. And next thing you know, man, she just grabs me and pulls me out. And I just, I swear, man, that's God in my life right now. He's pulling me out of some serious, deep, dark stuff. And without him, I'd be absolutely nothing. I wouldn't be sitting up here right now. I'm standing up here right now. I don't know. I love you guys. Thank you. All right. 
And our last speaker tonight is Mark G. And from the Grace and Truth Group. Hi, guys. I'm Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for giving me my life back. I owe it to you. And I'm happy to report I'm right with these guys. It's a little nerve-wracking being up here, getting used to this. Um, yeah, no surprise. I was uh, I was kind of hoping, like, since they did such a good job, maybe we could switch this up, do an 11-step, real quiet prayer type thing. It would be a lot easier in the next 20 minutes for me. <laughs> Anyways, um, so came to belief. And, um, you know, the, the first place to start for me with that is uh, you guys. You guys are what uh, were my first evidence that God could do different for people. You know, looking in and, and hearing your stories and kind of understanding what had happened in your lives is, uh, is what gave me that seed, that hope that something different could happen in mine too. And, uh, you know... I, I owe you. I owe you my life. This that's uh, plain and simple, as as simple as I can make it. Wow, this is kind of hard, guys, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, my my home group is Grace and Truth, and uh, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I think his sponsor has a sponsor, and so on. Um, have a service position, doing all the stuff you guys told me to do, and uh, my life's a little different than it was when I got here. Um, so, you know, like one of the things early on that um, that you guys suggested to me is that I be plugged into the program. I have uh, have people in my life to uh, to keep me going, that I can't do it on my own power, and uh, you know, you were my uh, you were my first higher power coming back here. You know, so uh, one of the things that I heard constantly is, you know, go to go to meetings, don't drink, and that was my mantra for the for the first three or four months. And it was, you know, I was here in ninety and ninety, but it wound up working out to be about uh, I don't know two forty and ninety or something like that. I just hung out at the clubs, and uh, and that's what I needed to do. You know, I I worked just enough so that I could you know, function, like I needed to still pay the bills and do stuff like that. But I seriously thought I needed a rehab to stay sober. I didn't, you know, I had no trust in my ability to stay sober. The best I could do on my own was a lot like what you guys shared. I uh, I could either drink until I passed out or I ran out. But that's that's me working on my way. That and I think it was a couple packs of cigarettes a day and some weed and, you know, I needed a lot of stuff to keep me going during the course of a day. I, I wasn't functioning very well with nothing, you know, and uh, I know you guys know that one, just that uncomfortability, that restless irritability, discontent. And um, because I'd done what you guys suggested a good majority of the time now, I get to live with some peace and some comfort without having to do any of that anymore. And um, I really didn't see that coming. But, I, you know, I, I would come to the meetings, I'd get to the point where they say, all right, well, these are the promises and this is what's coming. And I'm like, well, that's what's coming for you. But you see, I'm a little different. You know, it's, it's going to work for you guys, but uh, it's happening. It's happening. There's fruit in my life now, and I see those things taking place. You know, th things that there's no things I wouldn't have just thought of doing or believed I could do are happening in my life. And uh, you know, one of the biggest evidences that this program's taken hold is like I can love the people in my life instead of worry them to death. That's kind of neat. You know, and I spent a lot of time doing that, you know, just worrying the people that love me. So just that's awesome. Anyway, so talking about God and like uh, just my first higher power, my understanding of God was God was Sunday morning. God was church. God was me missing out on Sunday morning cartoons, which were also a thing. There's Saturday morning cartoons, but there's also Sunday morning cartoons. And, uh, you know, somebody who likes cartoons, their favorite cartoons are more. 
So I, I missed out on the Sunday morning stuff, and I was like, oh. So God was a boring place to be. You know, that was church. It was the, the wood seat. It was sit, stand, kneel, bow, pray, bow, pray, kneel, bow, stand. And, you know, like I did, that was God to me. And, you know, so I didn't really adhere to that one. But then there was Star Wars, and I understood the Force, and I knew I wanted to be a Jedi, you know? It's like what, what Obi-Wan and Yoda had going on, like that whole thing and teaching Luke. Like, I wanted to be a Padawan. That was it, you know? So as a kid, that was, like, that, that feeling that they described, that idea that they described, the feeling that the movies gave me, just about that whole idea of, like, it's this force that flows through every living thing, and, you know, like, you get that connection. That's, you know, that was my first idea of God. Anyways, God, um, several times in my life, I've had those moments where I'm like, all right, is, it's what I call the, and I've heard called the otter God moments. Like, is this coincidence? Is this odd? Or is this like some kind of higher power type thing going on? And uh, the, the first one I have was, um, like, I think I was 16 and I had overdosed pretty heavily on alcohol. Early drinking experience. Um, I didn't have a lot of experience with drinking at that point. So it was like I knew a little bit of alcohol would make you feel good. I figured a lot would make you feel great. You know, so the guys I was drinking with, there was a bottle of peppermint schnapps, and they seemed to be hovering around that. And, and because the other choice was a bottle of Rumpelmint's gin, and there was nothing to go with it. And, you know, so it was me and a 90-pound kid, and I pretty much drank the whole bottle. And uh, the last words that uh, they were saying that were coming out of me were, you know, God, please help me. Please help me. I was out of it. I blacked out. I don't know what was going on then, but th that was it. It was me praying to God as I was you know, out of it and on my way to a hospital. I'd survived a .52 BAC at 16, which is, um, that's a pretty big feat, but uh, yeah, that happened. And that was my first kind of understanding. It was more like the reaction of other people, like, do you understand what you just went through? And like, you know, I understood it the next few days as I'm trying to walk around and, like, I got, like, some kind of vertigo vision going on. Like, I turned my head and then everything would go for And walking was, like, you know, doing this one and everything was messed up. But that was pretty much first, uh, first understanding of that. And uh, there were several other options or times in my life where it seemed like God was just kind of, like, you know, Okay, right here. Trying to get your attention, buddy. And, um, you know, there, I, I, I wasn't always willing to listen. But, um, you know, in, in sobriety, there was one not too long ago, maybe, I don't know, five years back, um, previous to this period of sobriety that I have now. Um, I'm in the middle of nowhere. You know, by nowhere I mean like Southern Tier, so I'm sorry if anybody's here. But <laughs> I'm driving up 390, and I'm in that place, early sobriety, and I'm feeling that restless, irritable discontent. I'm making it to meetings, but not enough, and I'm feeling my lack of sobriety. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this really sucks. I feel all alone, and there I am driving, and beep, beep. It's my sponsor waving at me. We're going down the highway, and I'm like, Okay. Yeah, that's you know, maybe maybe a God moment. I don't know. Maybe God trying to say so. I don't know. I would think that's a God moment. Um, so when I got back to you guys in January this year, that's my sobriety date, January 21st, um, the first meeting I went to, there was uh, a neighbor of mine, somebody I grew up with, He's seven years sober, and he's looking at me. And he recognizes me walking in as I'm shaking and sweating and doing all that fun stuff we do when we first get here. And, uh, you know, I recognize him, but not the way he's carrying himself. And it kind of reminds me of that moment where, you know, Bill's talking about his experience with Abby in the kitchen, and, like, you recognize the person, but they're completely reorganized. It's just not the same guy. And that's what was going on for me looking at this guy, Matt. 
And, uh, you know, Matt did what we do. You know, he says, after the meeting, let's go get something to eat and let's talk. Let's see what's going on. And, uh, you know, that was uh, that was AA working right there. You know, it just kind of, come on, you're back and we're glad you're here. And uh, it was somebody loving doing it. Um, you know, throughout this, this process, you know, the, the whole while it's... Um, it's been gradual. It's been learning little by little, and um, you know, it all the while it's been you know God speaking through people. You know, I I I think of the people in the program as God's microphone. You know, kind of like Him saying to me what it is I need to hear, and usually at the most peculiar times, but just right on time. You know, you show up into. I've heard it said so many times. You show up into a meeting and you're hearing exactly what you're supposed to hear. Going, oh. Yeah, that right on time. And that's that's how you guys have worked for me, you know, just giving me exactly what I need when I need it. And um you know, today thanks to you, I know, you know, I I can't live without that power. And uh I I just heard a guy share, I think it was Tuesday night, you know, I can be exactly how I was when I first came in here. Just like that. If I stop doing what you suggested that I do, if I stop taking those simple suggestions, if I stop living by, you know, the the don't drink, go to meetings, uh, speaking with others, you know, praying, doing an inventory, all the all the different stuff, I stop doing that and I'm going backwards, and I can see that you know, like on a regular basis in my life, like on periods where I back off of meetings or I get short on meetings, or life gets in the way, and I start feeling that stuff creeping back in. Like, I need that connection with you guys. Got to have it. There's no living without it. I mean, there is, but it's the difference between being comfortable in my skin or being slightly irritable, and why cheat myself? And I think of this stuff as like soul food. Being here, and uh, what I do if I'm not getting soul food is I'll eat fast food, which is like you know, I'll beef up on my Netflix super streaming. Like I'll pick a show and just watch 20 episodes and start eating way more than I really need to eat, and uh, you know, just get into myself. And I can feel that irritability come back when I do stuff like that. So um, you know, I really prefer being with you and and not doing that. Uh, I don't know. My sponsor says I'm 100% more open when I came in here, and I think that makes me about 2% open, so I, I'm getting better. You know, things are things are working out somehow. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I can't believe I made it this long.